0: And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. From delivering babies in Afghanistan to delivering supplies sent from the US, Russ Pritchard delivers hope to the people of Afghanistan. While he would say he's just a glorified telephone operator, he's so much more. He runs the Afghan Medical Corps, bringing help and hope to those unseen and unheard. From what I have found out about you, Russ, you write, you run, and you save lives. First of three questions, how long have you been writing? How far have you been running? And how many lives have you saved in Afghanistan?
1: I've been writing a long time. Um, I first got published in 1983 when I was in college by um, a very enthusiastic and supportive British lit professor. Uh, Both my parents are history writers. Um, My background is more corporate My last real job was chief marketing officer for an oral care company. Before that, I was director of marketing for an international paper company. I've always written um, and I walked away from the corporate world about six years ago because it was just really, really boring um, and was doing a lot of writing projects on the side all the time and decided I could just make a living as a content writer. Um, So all my clients are small to medium sized businesses and nonprofits. And when COVID hit, it was the perfect job because I work from home Mm
0: -hmm. most of the time. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, How far do I run? Um, So I do triathlons. So I'm I'm into Ironman, but I'm also into obstacle course racing like Spartan um, and Bonefrog. So uh, those have kind of taken a backseat for the last two years only because of, of COVID. Uh, But I'm looking forward to another competition coming up this July.
0: All right, wonderful. And then let's get to that third part of the question. How many lives have you saved, Russ?
1: You know what? I don't really remember or keep track of that number. I think the memory is probably a little bit more, um, not to get morbid, but it's more along the lines of of ones you've lost uh, because this is a... You know, the Seinfeld expression is 24-7, but Afghanistan in my household's more like 28-7. I mean, we just don't stop. Um, so it's, it's a very unique lifestyle because we're living in, in two time zones. I'm Eastern Standard Time, and Afghanistan is nine and a half hours difference. And so I'm constantly straddling those. Uh, so... I can't tell you how many lives I've saved. I've been going at this since the first week of September, basically, um, and it's every single day. But I can certainly tell you some of the rougher ones we've lost.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, it's an incredible story that you have to tell so many stories within your story. Um, let's start with this, you know, so since the Taliban took control of Afghanistan, people there have been desperate for help. Here enters Afghan Medical Corps. Please tell us about the organization and about your role.
1: So the Afghan Medical Corps um, is not an entity. It's it's a a thing, it's an underground movement. Uh, In college, I was a flight medic. Uh, I'm a grandpa now. Uh, So there's some years in between. And when we started working to try to evacuate people some medical emergencies cropped up. And I, I kind of moved in those directions to, to, to solve those. You still, I got a call, I just declined it. Uh, okay. I, I moved in a direction to solve those because it was just kind of an, a natural thing for me. I was used to from that from years ago. I have a daughter that's an emergency room nurse as is her husband. So um, I stepped up and kind of solved some of those medical emergencies and we all are kind of covering people in Afghanistan that we've met through the internet. And I had met a couple doctors. And so I reached out to one doctor one night and I said, hey, can you call this person? They're, they're, they're like sick. And I know you're in hiding and they're in hiding. And, and, and maybe if you each use fake names, um, we can work something out. And this doctor and I at around 3.30 one morning came up with the idea of the Afghan Medical Corps, which is basically connecting Afghan doctors in country to Afghan patients. Um, 99.9% of our patients are in hiding. They, they, they pose a security risk. Um, they are indigent because they've lost their jobs and they cannot work. And so I want to say mid-September, we, we, we came up with the Afghan Medical Corps and we've grown to over 270 doctors now that assist um, sick relationships with six hospitals. Uh, what do I do, you asked, I'm a glorified telephone operator. I connect people to doctors and hospitals. And one of my, one of my passions, I don't know how to say the sentence without people laughing um, or, or without my wife teasing me, but one of my passions are, are pregnant women in Afghanistan because prenatal care ceased that August 15th when the country collapsed and August 30th when the last plane flew out. If you were pregnant, you stopped prenatal care at that point. And we've experienced a lot of stillborns in the field. And so we came up with a safe delivery program. And that is is one of the essence uh, of the Afghan Medical Corps. We have a very strong relationship with a maternity hospital in Afghanistan that we're able to send patients to for prenatal care safe deliveries and postpartum care. Um, and we've done hundreds and hundreds of deliveries now that way. So that's something I'm super proud of. But the Afghan Medical Corps is nothing more than an underground movement of operating like an American healthcare network. You come into our system, you're sick, we triage you with an Afghan doctor on the grounds um, and either he helps you or he refers you on to a specialist. And from there, we reach out to the hospitals if we need tests and we we beg and beg and beg we have no budget we beg for everything and we get it done for free with the exception of the deliveries we have a donor a very private donor who actually funds all that through the maternity hospital in afghanistan
0: that is absolutely incredible um so so getting back to the to the hours to the time right Uh, typical work hours don't apply for you so you know you've I've been told, and you just confirmed 24 seven, I can't imagine how difficult that is. And physical, mental, financial, all these demands for this work that you're doing. What is it, Russ, that gives you the hope that you need to make all of this possible?
1: Every little victory, every time someone sends you a picture uh, of a baby that was just born, um every time somebody recovers from a surgery uh that 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 carries you on to the next one it's probably the best way of putting it i mean we take we take phone calls 24 hours a day phone never gets turned off and again you're straddling two time zones so there's there's no choice yeah Um, the only the only good the only golden time we have my wife and i joke about it is between about 4.30 4:30 in the afternoon and about 9 o'clock in the evening, when most of the people in Afghanistan are sleeping, um, we kind of have we kind of get catch-up time, you know. But uh, babies, babies don't what no don't know what hours to be born, um, and sometimes we we our, our record number is 15 babies deliveries in one day.
0: Oh my gosh, that is just absolutely incredible! And here you're doing all of this work, and that it is such an underground um operation that you're doing. Um, it, so here's the thing. I certainly delivering medical care is not an easy task, especially when the Taliban is involved. So your quote, um we have had medical staff shot and killed by the Taliban while on medical calls. Um, and then you went on to say that you had some really great wins and some really devastating losses with moms delivering in the fields. I'd like to go on a little bit. I wondered if you could share perhaps just one of the best wins and one of the worst losses.
1: Well, we've had one casualty that you alluded to. We had a doctor head out on a medical call for us. He took his um, young teenage cousin with him to carry medical supplies and they hit a Taliban checkpoint and the Taliban asked them to basically, you know, produce identification. And the the teenager was a little too slow in lowering his satchel, over the shoulder satchel of medical supplies to the ground. And the Taliban shot him in the face and killed him. Um, That's our one and only casualty right now. Horrific. Um, But if we look at the volume of calls that we've gone on, the number of times we've had doctors um hidden in various types of trucks to make house calls to people in hiding uh that's we've been very fortunate i'll leave it at that Mm -hmm. um our best victory uh christmas night around two in the morning we had a situation blow up that we knew was going to blow up what i mean by christmas night is the christmas eve had ended at midnight and it was now christmas day So around two in the morning in the States, um, we had a set of twins that were born prematurely at another hospital. The the family was initially supposed to go to the hospital where we have the relationship with. The Taliban detained her when she was um, in labor. Her husband's here in the United States and because she was not traveling with her husband, the Taliban pulled her and the other male out of the car separated them and questioned them. And they kept her to the point where she was ready to deliver within minutes. And so she had to go to another hospital, which was substandard where we did not have a relationship. And because she was indigent, um, they, they kicked her out. She delivered at around 33, 34 weeks, which as you know, is more than a month premature. They sent the babies home. And about 48 hours later, both started to crash and knowing that we had had problems trying to get them through various Taliban checkpoints. um, During the night between Christmas Eve and and Christmas day, we arranged for a food truck to go and pick up the mother and pick up the twins and hide them in a very creative way. And they made their way to this particular maternity hospital uh, where they were put into the NICU for two weeks Um, And they survived. And they're here today because not only of the creativity of the doctors in Afghanistan that cared for her, but because the people that operated the food trucks that were willing to take the risk. Um, I I won't take any credit for that. I made phone calls and I stayed on the phone. That's it. Um, So that's something we're we're proud of. And and the hospital sends us videos of the twins going home. um, And that's been a, a blessing for us but again that's just two babies out of literally hundreds but that's that's one that was pretty special um because you like to think on christmas eve and christmas day you're focusing on your own family and your own blessings and instead all of our attention was directed towards afghanistan and in particular towards these twins wow
0: ross it's just such an incredible story um uh, you know i uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do need to ask this last question. And this is what I do feel you, is so do you important.
1: A, do you, Allie, do you want a bad story too? Yeah. So uh, I, I wrote about this um, and I can send you what I wrote a while back, um, but we did have a particularly bad situation probably the week after Thanksgiving. And we've had the same situation over and over again, but this one was particularly, poignant and difficult. Um, We had a couple, first child um, living in a bombed out basement and the mother was a television, or is, I guess, was a television journalist. So her face was highly visible. Her husband was in special forces. He was highly visible. They would not leave the bombed out basement shelter that they were living in. They felt that to be seen in any hospital would be basically execution for them we got an OBGYN to head out to their house. We had an OBGYN from the States also on the phone, just happened to be a coincidence, but this person asked how they could help. And I said, well, we'll connect you in. And uh, it was daytime here. It was nighttime there. And we listened in horror basically as they had a stillborn child and we listened to the husband and the wife scream but the baby wasn't breathing and we heard the doctor trying to calm them in a combination of Dari and English so that we would understand what was going on. There there, there wasn't electricity. Uh, They were using the lights of their cell phones Um, and at first light for them, we all stayed on the phone together after being up most of the night and they buried their stillborn child in a pile of rocks a bunch of rubble outside the house. And we all just stayed on the phone and wrote it out together as a very strange family that had bonded during the night. And I will tell you that that story was, sorry, that particular situation is what gave, no pun intended, but gave birth to our safe delivery program. When that happened, we realized we needed to form a relationship with a hospital in Afghanistan where we could send pregnant mothers to, where they wouldn't have to worry about security, where they wouldn't have to give their names, um, where they could come in, no questions asked, no bill, no charge, and have a safe safe delivery.
0: Wow, that, um, so what a beautiful, what a blessing came from such a tragedy. thank you so much for sharing that story that was... um so here's the thing while the headlines have decreased as far as if what's going on in afghanistan what's really going on the need for help has increased so much Russ, if you could please help us understand what is really going on what is needed what is at stake people need to know what's really happening
1: You know, it's it's interesting um, when you say that to me, because when my wife and I are around friends, they don't understand how our lives have changed, because it's not in the media anymore with Afghanistan. They just don't comprehend. And and we have wonderful friends who, when we have had crises, because we're very active with the resettlement side, um, they donate, they give, they step right up, but they just don't understand. And... You know, the math is, is relatively simple. 90% of Afghanistan is living in poverty. Um, uh, nine, 90% of Afghanistan is living in poverty. 22.8 million people face death by starvation and freezing temperatures this winter. Uh, one of the things that we started with the Afghan Medical Corps was an offshoot, which is now its own, not an entity, but thing or movement. We call it the Afghan Supply Corps. Uh, we feed over 8,000 people a month right now. Sounds like a lot, right? Sounds really impressive because we're doing 800 food drops per month, with the average family being 10. So there's your 8,000, and it sounds impressive. And you know what? It's a joke. 22.8 million people face starvation. We're doing 8,000 a month, and we're—I I can't keep up with the volume. It's—it's it's just. It's just not there. I don't understand why it's not more in the media right now. Um, I I am apolitical. This is not a Republican or Democratic thing. It's just somehow it's fallen off the radar. But my whole world is, well, I'll I'll phrase it this way. I wake up every morning, whatever time the Afghans that are my friends let me wake up. And I usually will have somewhere between four and 700 texts. Um, that take me hours to catch up on and the majority of them are people asking for food you know and they're asking for food they're asking for wood they're asking for clothes you know closed toed shoes with the afghan supply corps we supply food we supply wood we supply coal we supply clothing and blankets we supply therese, um, which is something i don't even know existed but it's basically the american version of a wood burning stove mm. uh, the horror is so many afghans thought in august That they would be evacuated before the winter that one of the first things they sold were trees their wood-burning stoves because they didn't think they'd be there for the winter and would have to heat their homes they thought they'd be long gone so we actually go out and install trees all over the place now we we put in wood-burning coal-burning stoves into people's houses and the minutiae is so important because if they don't have wood to burn they burn plastic and that's toxic fumes if the cherry isn't installed correctly and they burn coal, that's carbon monoxide and everybody in the house dies. So we actually make sure that we have enough flu, flu piping or venting going to the outside to make sure those, those fumes are carried out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know how it's, how it's fallen off the media. Um, I can tell you that one of the hospitals that I have a very strong relationship with told me 48 hours ago, That on their pediatric ward they lose between 16 and 22 kids a day, toddlers, you know, from malnutrition. All right. And those are the people that managed to make it to the hospital and die in the hospital. Um, You know, I have a very strong relationship with the Afghan embassy in Washington, D.C. And, you know, one of the things that has been expressed to me is there's no data being kept anymore. Taliban takes some guy out back and shoots him in the alley. There's no death record. Um, if you worked for the, the Afghan military, there's no record of your existence anymore. Um, I, I have been involved with numerous births in the field. So we know that those children that are born in the field, they don't have birth records. There's no birth certificate. They don't exist. Um, so it's, it's horrifying. I mean, the, the, it's, I think what horrifies me the most is what we don't see, what we don't hear about, what we don't know. Because those numbers are staggering.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Just simply by sharing what you have, hopefully, we'll start to wake people up to the reality that they're just not seeing. Hopefully, in seeing this, um, we can all become just a bit more aware now.